Hi, we are in a new episode of History and Politics, and we are with a great guest, Mila Gorajep. Hi, Mila. Hi. So the the first topic is the 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 which uh, to present Mila. She's a graduate student in in political theory at at McGill University. So the the first topic is. Um, the anti-communism that, that is quite making a return in the last times. And uh, the the thing that happened with, with Ash Sarkar, which was the, she mentioned in, in, a, in an interview that, that she's a communist, uh, Piers Morgan, it was kind of a strange moment, but it has uh, made a return of, of talking about communism. Around. And yeah. how do you see it, that communism is back in the in the mainstream? I don't know if there's some way to, to say. It. Um, I so to my knowledge, I think I know that socialism is more popular among the younger generation than it has ever been before. I think. Part of that is that we had this sort of promise that was given to us, and that promise uh, has turned out to be sort of like a lie in that respect. So, I mean, like, we're all, like, told that, okay, if we go to college, we're going to get a secure job, and a lot of us are going to elite colleges. Um, we can't enter the job market at all. They want people to, like, simultaneously have, like, five years of experience uh, while also like you know coming fresh out of college uh then you get paid like what like ten dollars an hour ten to eleven dollars an hour which is not a living wage plus you have like unpaid internships which again are like a privilege for certain people to access so if you have enough privilege that you don't need an income you can take an unpaid internship and that's going to help you enter the job market in a way that someone who can't afford to take an unpaid internship uh won't be able to have that kind of access. So I think it's there's just like an over uh, overwhelming frustration with people being unable to meet their basic needs. Rent has increased, uh, especially where I am at in Vancouver. It's like impossible to, you know, be young and rent a place successfully here. I mean, not impossible, but it's it's not very sustainable. In the U.S. especially, you have college tuition that's through the roof. You have like inaccessible healthcare, so I think there's just these over uh, overwhelming frustrations where people are thinking, well, I can't realize who I want to be, right? Like I can't. I'd love to work hard and reach its full potential, but I have all of these barriers, and these barriers are unequally imposed. So I think that's what's bringing the sort of resurgence of socialist thought. Uh, into the mainstream. That said, I don't think that uh, it was like ever gone. It's just becoming more more resurgent. But I, I mean, I, it's very curious because like the the article in Team Vogue about Marx. The I mean the I think Vanity Fair uh, uh, brought a a column defending Ashard and. And it, it's, it seems like like something that that it it wouldn't be seen in another era, and 
And so yeah. the, the, the kind of reaction, the kind of uh, more cheap anti-communism, and, and it's really very revealing. As someone who is from Peru, I mean, sometimes people are surprised to know that, that a lot of the target of, 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 of some organizations like the Shining Path were actually communists. I mean, they, they murdered a lot of communists and Marxists and... Um, yeah. And, and and it's uh, you know so in trying to to become an anti-communist in an orthodox way you you don't realize that a lot of your victims are actually communists and, and, and the, the... yeah well so I think that part of the reason why it's allowed to be resurgent now is that I mean the era before this we had the Cold War um, whereas. Like, where in the Cold War, Americans were a bit hysterical about communism, right? Like, you could not be an overt communist. Um, your citizenship was, like, revocable on that ground, right? Um, there was, like, again, yeah, there's sort of mass hysteria about communism. Part of that has to do with, like, you know, being at the Cold War with Russia, but also I think it had to do with a threat to America's existential identity, right? Because they built their identity on this, like, capitalist pillar and now you have people challenging that idea and so I think that was another reason why you know they had did things like trying to ban the communist party uh, you know like trying to silence uh, critics of capitalism uh, doing like a witch hunt on actors and writers and so on so now we don't really have that anymore we have a little bit more freedom to you know develop our own ideals um, so, yeah, I think that's part of the reason. I, one thing about Ashokar is, I mean, we have to keep in mind that she was also debating Pierce Morgan in the heat of the moment, uh, and I think most of us, if we were debating Pierce Morgan, we would try and say something that would, you know, shut him up, um, because we all want Pierce Morgan to shut up, so. Yes. Well, that's true. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, communism in, in popular culture. I, I don't recall that much. I mean, the the one thing that I remember is that um, in an episode of Seinfeld, there was a communist, uh, a guy with the People's yeah. Daily, the, 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 the paper of the Communist Party. It was kind of strange. I was kind of surprised. I know that in Italy there there is a, a famous musician that is a communist, uh, Raffaella Garra, but I, I don't think she's much known outside of yeah. Italy and, and Latin America. She was Italian, but she also sings sometimes in Spanish, so that's why she's known in Peru and other parts of Latin America. But beyond that, I, I don't know that much about like in what part like communism in popular culture is, is still not as large although I, I think in the US it's even less because even in Canada there was a, a film I don't know if you have seen it the Trotsky about a, a high school student who, who believes he's the reincarnation of, of Leon Trotsky it was very, very funny I, so, I so it's some time ago yeah so I mean I think that um, there's a problem in which uh, mainstream depictions of communism really tend to focus on um, USSR and like uh, they try and kind of frame it as like just this like 
manifestation of uh, a desire to be authoritarian and then people conflate it with Nazism and so on. Um, but I think a lot of people ignore the fact that like in developing countries especially it played a huge role in anti-colonial liberation movements and that like a lot of times see like so the comparison here is that people are trying to say it's like Nazism but the problem is, is that Nazism is inherently punching down right it's inherently white supremacist whereas communist ideals are inherently punching up it's like history from below is a popular uh phrase goes right so it's you know well like the reason why it was so appealing in places like say cuba is because you have like this subjugation at the hands of a capitalist imperialist power that's exploiting you for all your resources that's supporting governments that enslave their people and so, of course, this is going to happen. I mean, there's just no reasonable way that this can be compared to uh, far-right authoritarian ideology. It's just, like, inherently different. So I guess, like, that's been my issue with the reaction to uh, Ash. Okay. So I think we can move to the next topic that is, like, um, Islamophobia. That since Trump, since Brexit, since since the last development seems to, to be, like... Um, mainstreaming its way all over the the place and it's very it's very broad in a in a way that i i never thought it could be as, as broad for example like the fact that there are people like steve keen that are still reelected and reelected after saying so so much islamophobic things it's, it's really surprising like it's it, it's it seems that it's it doesn't has an end and it's really difficult to to stop it and and Linda Sarsour has tried his things but but when she tries to say something she's attacked in Islamophobic ways she's a puppet of, yeah. of Saudi Arabia and things like that yeah yeah exactly so I mean one thing I would contest is that I don't think that this is new in, per se so this this the ideas and stereotypes behind Islamophobia actually traces back to the colonial era in which Britain and France were trying to theorize about their colonial subjects in such a way that justified their colonial rule. So this idea of primitiveness and savagery uh, that's behind these ideas are, like, they're rooted in something that goes far, far, far back. But there's something uh, that Tally Mendenberg coined, coined called the norm of racial inequality. So the norm of racial inequality, the norm of racial equality, sorry, um, is this idea where that you know developed in say like the 20th century, where people started to develop a desire to not be seen as racist, especially in the U.S. in the civil rights era. You don't want to be considered a racist. That doesn't mean that you're not. Um, but in American politics, it became taboo to be overtly racist. So, you know, it had to be more covert. Uh, so now, I think what's shocking to people about these far-right populists, especially like Trump uh, and Steve King, as you mentioned, is that some people say that they're not adhering to the norm of racial equality anymore. They don't have this desire to be seen as not racist. And so that's what I think people think, that's why I think people think that there's these new racist ideologies that are uh, becoming more popular. I don't know if they're becoming more popular per se, but I think it's becoming more emboldened because people are rejecting these norms, if that makes sense. 
Yes, and and how do you do you see, for example, the the reaction of some people on the left? For example, the 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 case of Die Linke in Germany, where there is a, a faction of Die Linke led by Wagenach, by Sarah Wagenach, which uh, seems like supporting the the issue of of lowering the number of refugees of immigrants, and since then are uh, the immigrants to Germany are particularly from Muslim countries. And yeah. could that link to, to that in some way? Sorry, I didn't catch that last part. So the the issue with with the die link and, and and refugees and 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 how does the left will be infected by this Islamophobia too in some way? Yes, yes. So I think that everyone is susceptible to it. Um, there's a sort of misconception that, like, okay, well, if you're a leftist, you can't be racist, you can't be sexist, whatever. You definitely can. We are all socialized under the same system. So obviously, the left can be anti refugee uh, or, you know, even like anti like border opening for various reasons. Uh, one of the more popular left reasons is, well, we need to look out for our people. We need to look out for like our workers before introducing new ones to the market. But I mean, that is an inherently like problematic ideology because you're essentially saying that whoever won the geographic lottery is more entitled to equal concern and respect than people who do not. So everyone is susceptible to that, um, no matter where you are on the spectrum. Uh, the thing is, I think it's going to manifest differently depending on where you're at. So uh, I think that on the right, it's probably a little less sophisticated, a little bit more uh, overt, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist on either side. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very, uh, for example, like I wrote a piece some time ago talking about Evo Morales, and I, I wrote something that was very surprising to me, that I, I found that uh, was reading the news, and, and he announced, he made a statement that he wouldn't receive, like, any Syrian refugee, and, and he said that 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 it was the, the, the American imperialism was, was has generated the refugees, and that the, they should Take the refugees, but I, I mean it, it was true. But 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 on the other hand, I mean the people are trying to to go to some place, no matter how. I mean even Peru, that it's not the most prosperous country, has received some, and, and other countries are American. And it was surprising, but but it sometimes it, it also reminds of, of of the kind of fears that there is, particularly of of of. Of Muslims in in countries where there are not much Muslims in Latin America in general, uh, and and it's it seems to be that way because, for example, like uh, even Middle Eastern immigrants have have not that much trouble to to come here, but the, since the 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 issue has been deal to 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 the focus on the, the issue of Islam there this has been very different because the the huge of the population that the particular is in the Indian region in, in particular is Palestinians Palestinian Christians who came 
so in in the 50s and, and then later but now it's i guess a different question and and it's going to be a little bit more difficult trying to explain things by, okay, well, you believe this, so you must, you know, be like this. And I think it's very easy to do with religion. topic the of of the me too in academia so how, how, how you see this 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 was kind of a, a surprising development because uh, like it started in, in the in in the movie industry and then it has uh, moved to to different places but 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 particularly in academia is a, is a subject that that i i That uh, that I that I was expecting to that I was suspecting that uh, that I was suspecting the the development that it was going to be like more slow but it it has like drive it's uh, taken off. Yeah. yeah yeah so i mean in academia i think it's especially needed there's like a very long history of uh professors abusing their power and i think it's because um people like for, for instance grad students a lot of our fate lies in the hands of professors and so they're able to you know try and bend grad students to their will if they want to um, I, I mean, my department is amazing. There's really like, like political theory, McGill, everyone is so good and I'm very lucky in that respect. Um, but there has been stories from my school, especially, and I have to be careful because some of them are lawsuit happy. Um, but there has been many cases, uh, in which people have abused their positions of power and abuse the fact that other people rely on them for things like grades and reference letters and so on, and treated young women in the profession as their members of their dating pool rather than members of, uh, you know, like uh, being a serious academic colleague. Uh, so 
yeah, that's kind of a problem in academia. So now people are coming forward and they're saying, well, we're not going to accept this anymore. And the problem is, is we have a tenure system. So the tenure system makes it difficult for profs who have tenure to get fired. There needs to be really compelling evidence. Um, there needs to be, like, you know, so much... Uh, there needs to be so much administrative work for it to happen, so I think even though the movement is really picking up in academia, at the same time, there's a sort of cynicism that, okay, well, as hard as we're trying here, these tenured profs seem to be untouchable. So McGill's managed to deal with one prof who is untenured, um, but, I mean, the other ones, no, no uh, movement has been successful. Yeah, I, I suppose that's probably the main difference with with um I don't know if if beyond the US and Canada in Europe there is tenure, but in Latin America generally you you have tenure for a number of years and then um like for example something that, that happened actually and and in that's happened in, in, in Peru was that uh, a professor like uh, was found guilty of harassment and, and the next month it was his review period of, 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 of presenting his papers and, and everything and and they wow. didn't renew his contract so basically it if that is the case like it's it has to be like a very quick time so since it's 10 years and and he can prove it anything that, that wasn't false what the accusation so he, he that, that professor is no longer part of the university but sometimes the cases have been much more complex and and, and in Chile it has been like like much larger the the, the problem even they have taken the universities they have done massive projects and I think it's it's really taking part on, on on the structures of, of the academia that has a lot to do in in a very hierarchic, hierarchical organization in many ways. Yes, yeah. So I mean, there's a really great paper that kind of talks about the relationship between um, the ideal of rationality and objectification. It's called "On Being Objective and Being Objectified" by Sally Haslanger. And I think it really uh, drives home uh, why, say, like, like it doesn't explicitly talk about sexual harassment in academia, but I think it can help us explain why it's so predominant. So especially, I mean, in my field, in philosophy and political theory, throughout the history of philosophy and political thought, uh, it has been all men who have done made these theories and whatever. And because of that, like, mo many of these theories have built on the idea that women are not rational enough to theorize or to philosophize because you need to, like, have a logical brain, right? And so, like, this is like, went up, like, until, I mean, basically until now, there's still people walking around spouting this kind of crap. But, like, I, like we had very influential thinkers that drove home this idea, right? Like, Aristotle is one of the big ones. Um, and so there's this idea that, for instance, like, so there's always like this kind of lingering idea that women uh, don't belong in academia because they are not rational thinkers. They're here for you know men, and so I think that that like really um, helps explain you know the the conduct of these kinds of professors who you know don't see their female colleagues as 
equals, they don't see them as academics. They're following a long line of tradition in which they are uh, an object of their pleasure. Um, so I think that uh, and I think that academia in particular has these kinds of special, I mean, sexual harassment is everywhere, but I think that there's like this idea of like who belongs in academia and like what kind of like rationality you need to possess and like what is inherent to uh, your nature as said gender has long lasting history in academia, starting at like all the way back at Aristotle. Yeah, I I agree, and and it's it's certainly a, a difficult issue to tackle, and and it's it's not going to be easy, and, and I, I'm sure the the Me Too movement will represent many things, and and what some fear I, I, I think is that it will lead to a censorship, uh, although I don't think it's it's nearby, the kind of censorship that I. That I think those who say that the Me Too movement will will be used as form of censorship, but but still, I think it's it's still a, the developments of, of the Me Too movement are are really are really complex because uh, the for example like the the women's march like uh, like many events dealing with with um, with uh, with feminism in the last time have been like completely um, the uh, the focus of foreign policy have been completely out there has hasn't been out there has been like marginalized and, and as uh, there is a libertarian um, activist which is called Angela Keaton she's well known in libertarian circles for, for a lot of time. I, I think she, she she she's a real character, but she she's most known for for her arguments that 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 uh, all feminists should oppose wars because wars are particularly bad on women. Uh, women in many places they they die in higher amounts, particularly pregnant women, women that has that are with children, and also uh, product uh, with the product of some of the wars is uh, rapes, uh, torture, and, and sometimes women are much more, uh, and are in much yeah, more danger so, than, than men. Yeah, so I mean, that's definitely true. Um, so obviously, like, you know, I'm not, as a feminist, I'm not going to be a fan of so uh, self-proclaimed pro-war feminists like Hillary Clinton. Um, obviously, I think that's bad. I think it's also, you know, um, when we're talking about imperialist wars, it's not just that it directly impacts women, but it's also that uh, feminists are not just concerned about uh, the welfare of women, right? It's concerned with just, like, anti-oppression generally. So, of course, we need to be concerned with imperialism. Um, like, of course, we need to be concerned with, like, colonialism, racism, etc., uh, under which, uh, you know, these wars operate. Um, but yeah, I would generally agree, right? I don't think you can, I think that like, you know, it's almost incoherent to be a feminist and, you know, be the Hillary Clinton 
character. <laughs> yeah. I think there there is a book about that that is was written recently about the the, the folks the uh, neoliberal kind of style of imperialist feminism uh, and it's very weird i mean the, it's kind of an intersectionality of, of of imperialism it's like tries to be inclusive and it's it's very complex for example the, the issue with the transgender troops i mean um yeah. it's it's one of those subjects where uh, i mean yeah i mean obviously transgender people are marginalized in many things but but I don't think this should be the priority of, of the left or or even libertarians to 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 make sure that that the trans people should serve in the army, and particularly in the U.S. Army, was involved all over the world doing doing different kind of nefarious things. So, yeah, it's 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 really not not the not the most the thing that I most expect, but but yeah, I mean the Me Too movement has had many. Uh, it's it it also has the the danger that it could be corporatized. I think that that the Me Too is uh, it's already branded and and that they have protested some some march, uh, uh, the women's march at least they have. Protested some women's marches were announced because they they haven't asked like for their permission and it seems like contrary to to more spontaneous order of, of these kinds of of mobilizations that, that it will be like corporatized and it will have a risers. Yeah, yeah, I think like that's. I mean, we see this with all kinds of protests and social movements. Like pride has been entirely at this point um, in this kind of system I think that people are just going to try and take advantage of that so they're going to try and take advantage of feminist movements but they're going to present them in a way that's more palatable to the general public um, which is obviously a watered down version so then we have a problem because we want to be able to appeal to, to the public sentiment, right? Like we can't just all of a sudden radically go, okay, yes, yeah, so we're gonna like whatever feminist radical feminist goals there are, like say like okay, we're gonna like abolish, like have a genderless, stateless society, whatever. Sure, but like we can't just say that and like appeal to people. So the thing about the women's march is that it appeals to like a very like broad frustration, um, mainly like women's discontent with Donald Trump, um, which is like the way that it took off. And so in a way, it's like, it's gonna get women on board with the movement or it's gonna get more people on board. Uh, but in another way, we don't want them to get on board or on board with like a sort of watered down feminism and then lash out when we uh, present them ideas that make them more uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I mean this. This is going to be the challenge of of, of the movements in the, in the next time, in the, in this time actually, and it's going to be interesting to see how that's developed. So, thanks, Mila. I think we could leave it here. It has been uh, a pleasure talking to you. You too. Bye.